Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast, hosted by longtime Northwest sports journalist Dan Viennes. News, reaction, and opinion. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. Welcome back, everybody. Day two of the NFL Draft is in the books. The Seahawks add two more players to the roster. They entered the day with three picks, but they only drafted two players. We will get into that a little bit. I'll get you caught up on who these guys are and where they'll fit in on the roster. And then we'll talk about opportunity cost. Schneider and Carroll did not sound all that thrilled with how the draft unfolded today. I'll dig into that and try to pinpoint some of the players they might feel they missed out on. I'll look at what lies ahead tomorrow, some of the best possible fits available, and what the heck, let's do a quick mock draft to see how the rest of the draft might go. Thank you for joining me on Seahawks Forever. This is Dan Viennes, um, or most part of Dan Viennes. Not feeling great, guys. Still still struggling, but uh, as I said before, I'll rub some dirt on it, and I'm here for you. And besides, I spent... Man, I'll tell you what, I think I might be as frustrated today as John Schneider and Pete Carroll sounded and seemed to me like they were in the press conference after the draft today. Um, Y'all that have been listening to this show know how much time and effort I've been putting into this and how excited I've been and how much I've been looking forward to this draft. And, uh, and then I get, and then I get my butt kicked. So uh, yeah, we'll try to make it through. I've got my water. I haven't medicated yet because I want to be as sharp as possible for you guys. Um, first of all, let's talk about the players that were taken today. Seahawks finally addressed after going uh, um, corner yesterday at the top of the draft, and then obviously the wide receiver at Jackson Smith and Jig. But by the way, uh, wearing my JSN jersey, kind of unwittingly, I suppose. Uh, if you watch the episode with Corbin Smith, I had this on uh, a couple weeks ago and he pointed it out called it a Percy Harvin jersey. It's actually customized. It's got my name on the back of it. This is, used to be my number. It's, uh, it was always my favorite number to wear in basketball and football. And uh, and now it's Jackson Smith and Jigba's number. He chose number 11. Uh, I think um, I think Devin Witherspoon went with 21, um, which looked kind of cool up there as well. So they addressed the defensive side of the ball again and 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 attack the front seven, finally, with Derek Hall, edge rusher out of Auburn. Um, 6'2", 254 pounds, 34 and a half inch arms. His wingspan is over 83 inches. Uh, ran the 40 in 4.55 seconds. His 10-yard split was 1.55. His vertical jump was almost 34 inches. He broad jumped 10-7. Uh, productive player, three-year starter at Auburn. 19 and a half sacks over his career, 29 and a half tackles for loss. He just turned 22 years old. So all the concern about some of the overage guys in this draft, uh, we got a young one, but a young one that's played a lot of football for a big program at a high level. Um, and let's just see how many of the boxes he checks from the Pete Carroll world of evaluating prospects. Uh, overcoming adversity, check. He was born at 23 weeks old, four months premature, two pounds, nine ounces was never expected to walk or talk. Dr. Act, act, actually gave his mother the choice of whether to continue or to terminate. Turn himself into a multi-sport athlete. Check. Another box Carol likes. Played basketball too. Made himself into a four-star recruit. And went from uh, four months premature uh, to a massive... Uh, who 
Pro Football Focus says, quote, is built like a Greek god. Um, uh, projectable frame is what one scout said, so they think he, he can actually add some more good weight. Uh, get up over the 254 where he's at now. Uh, and everybody seems to agree that um, that his most of his ability as a pass rusher is as a speed-to-power guy and a bull rusher straight ahead, but that he also sets a physical edge against the run. Here's a couple of things I pulled from Dane Brugler's draft guide, first of all. His summary on Hall. He says, overall, Hall doesn't have fully fleshed out counter maneuvers. Remember that comment. But he is an urgent, hard-charging pass rusher with linear athleticism and power in his hands. He will be attractive to multiple schemes and projects as a potential NFL starter, similar to the Denver Broncos' Jonathan Cooper. Pro Football Focus says this about him. We'll get past tackles in the blink of an eye if they're laid off the snap. Deadly speed to power. Um... Wins with get off. Says he can improve his counter moves. There's that. There's that statement again. And they they kind of they put this in his uh, cons box, pros and cons. That he's been the play same player for three years. Really hasn't taken any leaps in the last three years. Uh, with his productivity at the high level he played at, I think that actually might be an attractive quality because it means he's dependable and reliable. And we know um, Chris Clough reminded us a couple weeks ago that, you know, Pete Carroll's mantra is smart, tough, and reliable, right? This is a guy that shows up and you can count on him playing. So both scouting reports mentioned that he needs some counter moves. He just doesn't have a lot of tools in his tool belt. Remember, the Seahawks hired Brandon Jordan this year as a pass rush specialist. And his list of guys that he's worked on or worked with is pretty impressive some of the best pass rushers out there. Um, I've seen him ranked as high in some scouting reports and big boards as the third best edge in the class. Um, for a while early in the draft process, he was mocked in the late first half pretty routinely, uh, many times to the Seahawks. And then recently he's kind of slipped down into the mid-second round portion, which is where the Seahawks got him at 37. And then, <laughs> oh, the C, some see, I had to log off Twitter because um, we know what happened last year when the Seahawks took a running back in the second round, right? Well, they did it again this year. Um, and those who think that it's terrible value, terrible use of draft resources to take a running back in the second round because you can get the same guy later on. Um, obviously, just to have not been paying attention for the last 12 years listening to Pete Carroll and John Schneider. They talked about it in the press conference again today when someone asked why why a running back in the second round for the second year in a row. And they said, it's the importance of running the ball. It's the importance in our program running the ball. So they get Zach Charbonnet, uh, who for the most part across the board, uh, pretty consistently ranked as the third best running back in this class behind obviously Bijan Robinson, Jameer Gibbs. Robinson goes eight to Atlanta yesterday. Gibbs goes 12th to Detroit in one of the shocking moves of the draft. And so uh, Schneider talked quite a bit in the press conference tonight about how at 52, they didn't think he was going to be there and that they had kind of turned their focus elsewhere and assumed he wasn't going to be there. So they stopped paying attention to him and there he was at 52, but we'll get to what else they might've had in mind at 52 in a minute. Zach Charbonnet, 6'1", 220, big dude. Ran a 4-5-3-40, his 10-yard split, 1.53, 37-inch vertical, multi-sport athlete, played baseball and basketball as a kid. Uh, led all FBS in all-purpose yards per game with 168 last year. 
and uh, led the Pac-12 in rushing with 1,359 yards. Uh, the guy breaks tackles, and he is uh, uh, he's kind of a specialist at explosive plays for a guy his size. Uh, 22.6% of his carries last year went for 10-plus yards. Let me read that again. To almost a quarter of his carries last year on his way to almost 1,400 yards in the Pac-12 went for 10-plus yards. Now, granted, some of that's, you know, that Chip Kelly system, uh, kind of that one cut, um, you know, you know, in some ways has some of the zone principles that the Seahawks use in that Ram system. Um, but a guy that for his size um, has some get up and, uh, and can also be physical. Um, Dane Brugler says overall Charbonnet is not a dynamic start stop athlete to quickly change rush lanes or escape trouble, but he has extraordinary vision with reliable pass catching and blocking skills and impeccable football character. Um, I saw one interviewer um, who had done a profile on him before the draft and he asked him like, what are your hobbies? What do you do when you're not playing football? And he says, I work out. That's my hobby. He just, he, he's a gym rat. And that's something, that's a term that Pete used last night uh, about Witherspoon and JSN also, that they're gym rats. They're just dedicated to their craft. They love it. You don't have to, you don't have to motivate them to get to the weight room. Uh, PFF says he breaks tackles, but he has soft hands and his size sneaks up on you. He carries 220 pounds easily. There is some tread on the tires with 450 touches at UCLA. He did stay in school an extra year when it was projected that he might've gone in the draft last year about where he went this year. Now we knew that running back was a need. There are only two on the roster right now. And I don't think any of us agree that DJ Dallas is really a dynamic number two probably more suited as the third guy in your room. So we knew that they were going to go into this draft, a draft in which Daniel Jeremiah said there were 13 to 14 starting caliber running backs all throughout the draft, which kind of plays into the argument of, you know, the the ones who say that we, we could have waited at the position and gotten a guy much later. Um, but we know, not just with the running back position, any position, and, and I think we're seeing it this year more now than ever, that when Pete and John love a guy, they don't, they don't, they don't give a shit about what you think about positional value. What does John always say? They build their board for their team and their roster and their grading system. Um, Pete talked about it in the press conference tonight, the need to rotate Ken Walker with someone and keep those guys fresh and keep them from wearing down and figuring out how to fit them in together and use their talents together. Um, I think outside of Bijan Robinson, this was the best running back, in my opinion, that they could get to pair with Kenneth Walker. Now, granted, I had not been taking Zach Charbonnet in very many of my mock drafts because I focused in other areas in the second and third round. Um, and this is what we're going to debate next is should the Seahawks have done that? Because I'd often taken guys later on like Roshan Johnson out of Texas, a very similar body style to Charbonnet, or a guy like Dwayne McBride out of UAB. Uh, some bigger guys later on, Evan Evan uh, Knoll out of Northwestern, guys like that. So we're going to talk about that. But, but I think both of these players today exemplify what I'm going to say. And if you watched my show yesterday and listened to me 
um, during the ill-fated live stream <laughs> or followed me on Twitter. You know how excited I was about both picks yesterday. Through the roof yesterday. I, I personally would have given yesterday um, an A+. plus As much as I, just like everybody else, wanted to come out of yesterday with someone that played something along the defensive line. And I think you'll see that when I unveil my shadow draft at the end of this entire process where I, when the Seahawks are on the clock each time, I pick who I would pick in that spot. And as I go through the draft, I base that on the picks I've already had, right? And so not not based on what they have, otherwise you'd start to get really redundant and weird. And I think you'll see that, you know, my preference, and I talked about on the show and in my final mock draft about I want to take care of the trenches first and then get into some of those other positions. And so, so far I would categorize this draft as love the players, but what's the process? What's the plan? What now? Because while they have checked some massive boxes, right? There's no denying that. You Let's just set the argument aside for a minute that that you're scared to death about some of the things they haven't addressed in this draft, which we're going to talk about. Um, they have put together now a secondary group that I think most general managers in football would kill to have. Um, a dynamic group of young corners and then adding Julian Love to the safety group. Um, they brought in some veteran linebackers to kind of solidify that room um, including bringing legend Bobby Wagner back, right? They added a starting quality center in free agency, and so that might be why we all we all had thought center would be addressed on day one or two. It hasn't been yet. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But they added that third wide receiver, which most fans seem to agree was a significant need. And by the way, the way they talked about Jackson Smith and Jigma, the more I watched some of the reaction and stuff this morning, um, <laughs> uh, D Eskridge should probably, I hope he's renting. I hope he didn't buy. Um, because they sure, they didn't even mention his name. They kind of talked about JSN as if D Eskridge didn't exist. Um, but I think they got who I thought was the most dynam dynamic wide receiver in the draft to fill a huge need. And, the most dynamic corner in the draft to fill something that wasn't a pressing need in the minds of most Seahawk fans. But I think most of the feedback I've gotten is that they can see it now because of the way Carol talks about this player being so special. Then today they add another young edge player to that group. And that's something that, that you might think, well, they that was kind of a position of strength. But when you consider there's no extension yet for Uchenna Nwosu, who's going to be in the last year of his deal. Daryl Taylor's in the last year of his deal. Uh, Alton Robinson, he was asked, Pete Carroll was after the press or after the draft today, uh, how he's doing, and he's still not fully recovered from the injury that cost him all last year. Tyreek Smith, last year's fifth round pick, is recovered, but is just now back in the offseason program. And so he's basically starting over from scratch. And Boye Mafe coming off a rookie year. So you only have really that one guy that's locked into a, a you know, three three more years left on his deal with Mafe. So adding adding a player to that spot was something that made sense at some point. I think every mock draft I've done and, and that I've seen most of you do, at some point you're addressing edge. So love Derek Hall as a player. 
He absolutely fits the Seahawk way. He's in that mold. He's a team captain. Everything you hear about him, phenomenal leader, all of that stuff too. And then you add the running back and again, checks a box, fills a huge need, love the player. There's not a running back that's going to be taken tomorrow that I would rather have than Zach Charbonnet. Let's say that. But here we are again. We have to go to bed tonight. And notice I said bed, not sleep. We have to go to bed tonight still wondering how in the hell this team is going to stop the run next year and play some of the better teams in the NFC. That every other part of this roster right now is set up to compete with the best teams in the NFC. It's set up to win, except for that. It was their biggest problem last year. They go out and they spend money on Draymond Jones. That's great. But then they release, you know, just to recap, release Shelby Harris and Al Woods and Quentin Jefferson and Puna, and Puna Ford's a free agent, expiring contract, but they, they didn't bring him back. So literally on the roster right now, all you have on the defensive line is Draymond Jones, who we all love, 26 years old, gave him the big money, looks like a potential superstar. And then we have Miles Adam, undrafted free agent from two years ago, who flashed at the end of last year, but he's a little undersized. And we have Jaron Reed, who was great his first time around with Seahawks, former second round pick, but his film from Green Bay last year is not good. And Brian Monet on the injured list, who probably is going to start the season on the pup. That's it. That's it. And so they keep asking Schneider about that. And he says, hey, we know. We know we need to address defensive line. He did say about a month ago on his, on his radio show leading into the draft that when they assess the draft, they look at position groups, obviously, and, and where they project it to go. And they felt like interior defensive line was something that was pretty deep in this draft. And so they've, he implied that they could wait and, and take care of those needs in the draft. It's just that they haven't yet. And so it's hard to get excited about the players they've taken. As much as I love these individual players, when there's still just that massive gaping hole. And if you go out tomorrow and draft two defensive tackles, I'll feel better about that. But are you going to go into the into week one relying on rookie interior defensive linemen? Day three rookie interior defensive linemen? That's a stretch. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Um, and so I'm going to talk at the end. We're going to wrap this up tonight with what I think the plan is. And then hope like hell that we see some of it come to fruition tomorrow. So we don't go into a total freak out, but let's talk about what, about what else they did um, in the draft yesterday, because they made a trade. They were sitting at number 83 in the third round. And Denver came all the way up from 108 
And I thought when I saw the trade at first, all you see in NFL network was talking about something else. I think they might've even been in a commercial and you see at the bottom, the Seahawks are on the clock and you see that switch to Denver. So you, you know, there's a trade. And so immediately I'm thinking, good. Cause I just been talking with some friends and texting listing all the guys that I, that are coming up that are still available that I like that would help. And, and so I'm thinking we move down a little bit. We pick up an extra pick tomorrow, but then I, I can't even see the Seahawks on that ticker and it goes like 15 picks deep. So it turns out they trade from 83 all the way down to 108, which is the sixth pick tomorrow, the sixth pick of the fourth round. So they now have two fourth rounders to go along with the two fifth rounders and then a sixth and a seventh. They didn't gain an extra pick this year, but they got Denver's third round pick next year. That is significant. Sure, you don't get the immediate payoff right now. But what have we heard and what have we talked about for the last couple of years or the last couple of months leading up to this draft? How the, the overall elite blue chip quality of this draft was lacking because of all the players that stayed in school that this, this was a unique year, but that next year we were going to see some of the, the kickback from that in that it's projected to be a much deeper draft. And so teams were trying, teams talked openly about how they would love to pick up future picks, but nobody was giving that up with the exception of Tennessee or uh, Houston. I'm sorry to move up um, and get uh, to number three. So the Cardinals get a first round draft pick next year. Um, but teams were holding tight to those picks because they meant so much. So based on uh, ESPN analytics, the value based on all the charts and the trade calculators of moving down from 83 to 108 equates to a sixth round pick. And the Seahawks get a third next year. Now, once again, we get to root against Denver. Someone said that'll be fun. Uh, and it was interesting, I thought, in the press conference tonight after the, uh, the third round was over, where Schneider said that was one of their goals. They wanted to add to next year's draft. And, and somebody asked him in the press conference, is it because next year looks to be so much stronger? And he said, yeah, that's how it's looking. So let's talk about that press conference some more. I mentioned that Carol and Schneider didn't seem happy. This, and they actually admitted it, this wasn't LJ Collier level. If you remember that press conference, and Chris Clough talked about this when he was on my show, how they traded down multiple times that year. And that's a year, again, very similar, where they needed a defensive lineman. They needed pass rush help in particular. This year, it's, it's, it's different. They need interior run defense, but they needed pass rush help that year. They were looking at Jerry Tillery and Rashawn Gary and uh, some of those other guys that came out that year. And they, uh, Josh Sweat some, was another name, but Gary was the guy that in particular, there were reports that they were in love with and they kept moving down, kept moving down. And then they were gone. And so they, as John would say, pushed for need and took Collier. And we, we all know what happened with that. They seemed so deflated that year in the press conference afterwards. I felt bad for Collier. Like they weren't even putting on a good face and trying to be their eternal glass half full optimistic selves. Uh, today wasn't like that. 
but it was, they were very transparent and honest. And the, the term that he used, John said there were some upsets today. And in particular, when he was talking about the Charbonnet pick, it almost felt like, and I mentioned that he had said that they didn't even expect him to be there. I think that's what he's talking. I think what happened between 37 and 52 is the range he's talking about. So let me share the screen here uh, for you to watch on the video. And this is what the second round looked like. And so, so the Seahawks take Derek Hall at 37. And then what you're going to see is a couple of those dynamic inside out defensive linemen come off the board that I've been pounding the table for, for the last couple of months, but in particular for the last 24 hours after what they did in the draft yesterday. Keanu Benton goes 49 to the Steelers. Keon White goes 46 to New England. I have to believe that's what they were targeting. The only other guy that I could think of that's in there um, is Joe Tipman, the center out of Wisconsin, uh, went 43 to the Jets. And that's a guy that Steve Hutchinson went out last week to, to work out. And they, they really liked him. Um, reportedly, uh, Cody Mock is another guy that maybe they were really interested in at 48 right before Benton. But I have to believe it was one of those guys, Keon White, Keanu Benton, that they thought might get to them at 52. So they pivoted to Charbonnet. So now let's look at what's left. Let's look at best remaining players I'm on ESPN here. We'll just go to defensive tackle because I do want to point out what, that there is still an opportunity and we still don't know. Let me do this first. I was going to save this to the end. When I talk about what's the plan, when I ask, what are they doing? Right. We've talked about how there isn't, a lot of cap space left. In fact, if they wanted to sign their draft picks today, they couldn't. They literally don't have enough available cap space to sign them at the slots that they've taken them at. We also know that John Schneider typically does not like, he likes contracts to be, to be straight up. He likes cash and cap to match. He's talked more about cash and cap this offseason than ever. He doesn't like to Add void years. He did in 2020, but that, you know, that was kind of out of necessity. The salary cap didn't go up and that was a weird time. Um, he doesn't typically like to add or convert salary to bonus because that affects your cash because you have to pay the player out now. And then it also increases the dead money that's prorated over the, the remainder of their contract. So you're, you are kicking the can down the road in that point. There aren't that many players that are obvious extension candidates where you could lower some cap numbers. There aren't any more obvious cut candidates. You know, I thought Michael Jackson, maybe they could pull their tender to him and save a little bit of money, but they name dropped him in the press conference tonight. Um, there's been rumors that maybe they're willing to trade Noah Fant. And there was a run on tight ends today. 
that tight end group got hit pretty heavily today and you're kind of down into about that third tier now. So there may be an opportunity to get a draft pick for Noah Fant tomorrow from a team with cap space and you'd save about $6 million. I think it's six, six and a half million dollars guaranteed. So that's an opportunity. We've talked about some of the other opportunities, but there aren't a lot unless you do some of those things you don't typically want to do. We've also heard John Schneider talk openly about free agency. He said it on his radio show the other day, again, that everything's a phase. And after the draft, then we go into undrafted free agency. And then we look at the free agents that are left over. And then we have June 1st cap casualties. And we look at those guys. Pete Carroll's talked openly about how much he wants Puna Ford back. There are reports or rumors that Al Woods, who visited the the Cleveland Browns, may have been offered a deal by the Browns, and he said, I'm going to wait, that they could bring Al Woods back again. And then the Browns turn around and draft Siaki Ika today, who is basically a young embodiment of Al Woods. So you see what I'm getting at? This may have been part of their plan all along. Not that they're going to punt on defensive line. I certainly hope that's not part of the plan. But that they see some players later in the draft that fit their scheme, that they think can be effective, but that they also are going to do whatever it takes financially to be able to bring some of these other guys back. And then there's this. And this doesn't address the interior defensive line, but it's pretty damn interesting. When Frank Clark was released by the Kansas City Chiefs, a lot of Seahawks fans immediately were calling for him to return. I rejected that notion because I think Frank Clark can still get one more decent contract. But (laughs) internet sleuths have found. So we know that Tyler Lockett sells a little bit of real estate on the side, right? He posts a listing on Instagram and Frank Clark comments, I might need to look at that. The property's in Seattle. Um, I may not have that word for word, but basically was saying I might need that. So that now speculation is running rampant that maybe Frank Clark, maybe a return of Frank Clark would be in the works. A little side note, and I'm not going to get real deep into that, this at, at that at this time. But what a lot of these moves indicate to me, Derek Hall's fit, his size and, and, and length and athletic traits the possibility of Frank Clark returning, the possibility of Puna Ford returning because we had heard that he was miscast in the 3-4 last year. To me, these are just little bits of information and little clues that the Seahawks might, after all, as Richard Sherman hinted a couple weeks ago, be going back to the old scheme, which is based more on a 4-3. And that would make a little more sense, which also lessens the need for a big traditional nose tackle type tackle. Anyway. That's what I expect to happen. And so if you're not happy with how tomorrow goes on the defensive front, um, keep in mind that, you know, they don't play until August. And a lot of a lot of things can be done to the roster between now and then. And that Schneider's talked openly about those things. He hasn't come out and said, no, we're we're strapped for money. We're gonna we're gonna hit the draft and undrafted free agency, and that's pretty much it. We're done. Cause he he does tend to be pretty transparent in those things. And he's been the opposite of that. Um So let's look at best available. So there are some defensive tackles that I like that are interesting. Uh, One that I've just recently kind of brought onto my radar, but uh, Daniel Jeremiah talked 
talked about him being uh, kind of a late riser that some might even thought would sneak into today. Scott Matlock out of Boise State, 6'4", 308. Um, Cameron Young out of Mississippi State, kind of a traditional nose tackle. Um, a guy that we know the Seahawks have visited, 6'3", 304 himself. Colby Wooden out of Auburn, a guy that can play uh, inside and outside, 6'4", 273. Keandre Coburn, a guy you've heard me talk about, he's a nose tackle, 6'2", 330 with just a red hot motor. And then there's some guys that are listed on this side anyway as defensive ends, but that can play inside, outside. And we know that for years, the Seahawks really valued that skill set. And that matches more with the old scheme. Number one on this list, still available, uh, Adetomawa Adebowar, who we know the Seahawks had in for a 30 visit. Kid out of Northwestern that blew up the combine. Incredible athletic traits, really long arms, 6'2", 282. Uh, Moro Ajomo, a guy who you've heard me talk about for months out of Texas, 6'3", 292, who one scout said his tape looks like um, teaching tape as far as defending the run. Does that sound like something Seahawks could use? I'd be ecstatic if Ajomo is the pick tomorrow at 108. Uh, Isaiah McGuire a guy that I really like who can play some edge and inside Dylan Horton's another one like that. Mike Morris, a guy that we know out of Michigan that the Seahawks did meet with, didn't have a very good combine, but you turn on the tape and he's just a beast. Six, five, two a guy that if they stay in a three, four can play that defensive end spot. They don't really have that on the roster right now. Uh, there's some other guys too. There's small school guy, um, guys like Carl Brooks, six, three, three Oh three out of Bowling Green, who had really impressed at the senior bowl. Jared Clark, Coastal Carolina, more of a nose tackle, 330-pound kid. So there's still some interesting enough depth tomorrow that they can address the defensive line with guys that can contribute as rookies. And then a lot of you still want to see that interior offensive line addressed. To me, one of the most shocking things that's happened so far is, is that Luke Whipler is still on the board in the fourth round after players like Ricky Stromberg and Juice Scruggs, who were expected to be taken after him. So you like Luke Whipler as a scheme fit? He's still available. So is Oleola Watimi, a guy that Michael Thompson's been talking to us about as one of his favorite centers in this draft. Really experienced over 40 starts at Michigan. Alex Forsyth, who Emery Hunt told us last week, was his number two center. Jarrett Patterson out of Notre Dame who's played guard and center. Jake Andrews, who the Seahawks met with out of Troy, who's played guard and center. So there's still some depth there. Some guards that are intriguing. Chandler Zavala, 322 pounds at 6'3 out of NC State, who really had a great pro day. Braden Daniels, one of the Seahawks' 30 visits out of Utah, one of the best pass protectors in the nation. He's played tackle and guard, little undersized at 295 at 6'4, but he has a projectable frame. City Sal, the small school kid out of Eastern Michigan, who's just an athletic freak, uh, 6'5", 323, and really impressed at the combine as well. Then a couple of guys that the Seahawks had in for visits. Again, Jordan McFadden out of Clemson, 6'2", uh, 303, and uh, one that I'm really intrigued by, where's the LSU kid? Anthony Bradford, they also had in for a visit, 6'4", 332, and just an absolutely outstanding athlete for a guy that size. And then there's the possibility of this. Dewan Jones hasn't been drafted yet. If you remember, remember him, he really made an impression at the Senior Bowl, starting right tackle for the Ohio State Buccaneers last year. Paris Johnson was on the left side, 6'8", 374. 
uh, massive, rare length and huge hands. Run As a run blocker, he has impressive short area quickness. Does a good job of driving his legs on contact. Not a natural knee bender, doesn't mirror well, but his frame makes it tough to get around him, and he doesn't give much ground and pass protection. Um, he was expected to go today. The Seahawks had him in as a top 30 visit. He was their first top 30 visit. Race my eyebrows. Why? Because Abe Lucas was their third-round third draft pick last year and had an outstanding rookie year. Uh, the thought is that if they were to draft Dewan Jones, you can move Abe Lucas inside to guard where he projects to potentially even be better than he was at tackle. Just a thought. What about linebacker, Dan? Well, there was a run on linebackers today in the third round in particular. We know that, you know, Jack Campbell went unusually high yesterday. Drew Sanders was off the board at 67 today, and that kind of started a linebacker run. So then you saw Marte Mapu, Dan Henley, and Dorian Williams. DeMarvian, Overshone, all go. Uh, there are some guys later, though. Let's look at best available linebackers. Uh, there are some guys that uh, that would fit well with Seahawks, Henry Toto, a little undersized, but a true linebacker, sideline sideline, great instincts. Um, he's a guy that would make some sense. Ivan Pace, who has everything you want in an inside linebacker, except he's a couple inches short, but he just he's just a heat-seeking missile, loves to hit. Uh, Ventrell Miller is a guy the Seahawks met with out of Florida. And then uh, he's not listed here, but I think uh, Drake Thomas out of NC State is another guy that really one of the only guys left that fits that that prototypical inside linebacker mold at 6'2", 235. Um, really great against the run, comes up and hits guys, stacks and sheds. So they may not be names that you're as familiar with, but there is still enough depth for the Seahawks to address those needs in this draft. And when combined with what I anticipate they're still going to do somehow, some way in free agency, they can still take care of that position group. And so I'm I'm not going to grade what they did today. I'm going to wait until the, the end of the draft to put it all in perspective and grade it. But let's just say that I am cautiously excited. I love all four players that we've drafted. I'm just incredibly concerned about the lack of attention to the interior defensive line right now and the interior offensive line, especially in light of the fact that the first thing Carolyn Schneider talked about this offseason was we have to get better in the trenches, tougher, bigger, more dynamic. And they haven't addressed that in this draft yet at all. They still have time. They still have time. But I don't know that I'm going to sleep as well tonight uh, as I would have had they just taken one of those guys. If we had ended up with Keon White or Keanu Benton out of this group, or even Zach Pickens, who's a guy that they met with as well, uh, I'd feel a lot better going into tomorrow that they could just let the board draft him or fall to him. I kind of feel like now that as much as they've talked about BPA, and that's clearly been their approach through the first three rounds of this draft, that... Now they've kind of painted themselves into a corner where they have to draft for need tomorrow. Uh, Noah Sewell is another guy that's still available that, uh, you know, shoot, three, four months ago was projected as a first-round pick. Um, lacks that sideline-to-sideline -side dynamic athleticism, but at 6'2", 246, uh, he's a guy that can come off the edge for you, show some versatility, but also is a thumper in the middle. And even if he's a, he's a two-down linebacker, might give you some value on day three. 
Um, that's going to do it for tonight. I'm going to try to rest up so I can do a, uh, so I can react to tomorrow. Got to get up early. The draft starts at nine o'clock Pacific time tomorrow and goes a lot quicker. The Seahawks with six picks tomorrow. Um, and I'll be here to give you my thoughts if I'm able, if I can talk. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Um, subscribe to the YouTube page. All the videos will be uploaded there immediately. Um, I am now on Twitch at Seahawks Forever Dan. Uh, so you can follow me there if that's your thing. Uh, and follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. Also subscribe to the podcast on Spotify or Apple or whichever app that you use so you get notification of new episodes, of which there will be many over the coming weeks. Lots of cool special guests lined up as well to break all this down, including Monday, if I'm able to talk again, I will qualify it that way. Bill Alfstad and Keith Myers of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast plan to join me and we'll do a full draft breakout or breakdown then. Get some sleep if you can. Try not to toss turn too much. Let's hope for the best tomorrow. Go Hawks.